right, everybody, welcome back to the Renowned Leadership Podcast. I am so excited for this guest that I have for you today. Today, we're going to be talking to Brian Montez, and this dude is an entrepreneur. He is a former corporate executive. This dude really knows his stuff, and he, he's, he's going to be bringing us some business insights on how to help scale your company if you're an entrepreneur or a solopreneur. He, or work for a small company, whatever the case may be. He's got some very valuable insight that is going to really help you in the long run when it comes to leading your business into the future. So super excited about that. My dad's not here with us today. Uh, his dad is, or I'm sorry, his dog is sick. So he's out nursing his little pup. Yeah. So with that being said, let's go ahead and jump right into the podcast. And uh, like I said, I'm excited to bring you Brian Montez from Scalosity Works. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Renowned Leadership Podcast. My name is Stephen Morris. Thank you so much for joining joining us again. I'll, I'll be able to talk, talk, <laughs> talk. Man, I'm struggling. Anyway, thank you so much for joining us again uh, this week. Unfortunately, my dad isn't able to join us. He has a sick dog um, at home that he is, he's tending, so he's going to be taking care of that. But in his stead, I am joined by a very special guest, Mr. Brian Montez from ScalosityWorks.com. Hey, Brian, how you doing, brother? Good, Stephen. How are you doing? I am fantastic. So anything new and exciting going on in your life? Well, there's always something going on exciting and new, right? So I mean, you live in California, right? I do. I'm in Southern California. So oh. the, the, <laughs> the best weather out there in the in the nation. <laughs> also the highest gas prices. Got that right. Highest gas prices, highest taxes. <laughs> <laughs> what what is gas right now around where you live? Well, down here in Southern California, it's if you're driving regular, it's about six 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 dollars six fifty a gallon. Um, if you're driving oh, diesel, it's you know it could be as high as seven. So just just all depends on where you are in the state. It was, ouch. was in Central California ouch. yesterday, and it was a dollar cheaper. So yeah, it's yeah, it's, it's painful. I want to say three ninety eight here in Indiana. Yeah, so almost double. Ouch, man! It I hurts. Oh, <laughs> man, I couldn't imagine like. I cry about it, dude. I, I drive an old Jeep Wrangler, man. I bought it in 2000, uh, brand new, and I've had that thing all this time. And it has like a 13-gallon tank. And, man, when it costs $50 to fill that stupid thing up, like it just makes my heart hurt every single time. But I digress. Enough about <laughs> gas. I'm getting depressed now. <laughs> well, let's get back on the fun stuff. <laughs> So, so give us your story, man, your background. Tell us uh, what you do and how you got into it. Yeah, uh, great question. So, I mean, my story goes all the way back to when I got out of high school. So, you know, my, my first career coming right out of high school, I became an EMT and then became a paramedic. So I spent the first five years of my life post high school working in EMS. Um, you know, and, and in EMS, you learn what true life and death is and, and you learn, you know, how to make very quick decisions and what needs to happen. And um, it was just a great experience. And I worked in a very, very, very busy part of uh, part of the state out in San Bernardino County. So um, in five years, I saw quite a bit of activity, you know, so to say. 
Um, but after about five years, I, I realized I didn't want a, a full-time career or a, a long career in EMS. And so at that point, I went into the business world. So my, my first corporate job was with a big Fortune 500 company, which was a great place to start my career. Um, started in sales in Southern California and you know advanced into supply chain management. So after two years of working for the company, they said, hey, you know, do you want to take over supply chain out of Asia? And I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be great. I'm going to learn all kinds of, of training and learn, you know, global business. And they're going to teach me how to work with manufacturers and they're going to teach me how to negotiate contracts. And, you know, I was really excited about the opportunity. And so when my first trip to Asia came up, I was thinking, okay, I'm going to get training for this. They're going to set me up for success. And yeah, that's not what I got. <laughs> so <laughs> I got a plane ticket to Taipei, Taiwan. I got a hotel reservation at the Hyatt in downtown Taipei. And I got a telephone number to call when I got there. So that, that's what I got. I got those three things. And, uh, you know, I'm all of 29 years old. And, you know, other than going to Acapulco once for spring break in Vancouver, Canada with my parents as a kid for vacation, I'd never been out of the country. So I said, all right, I'm up to the challenge. I, I got on the plane and I went and I figured it out. Um, but yeah, it definitely, it started, that started to develop my thought process on what are we, or what are we doing to make sure people know their job, what they need to do and how to succeed. I mean, you know, when I was an EMS and I was EMT and a paramedic, I mean, the training was constant, right? You were constantly getting trained. You were constantly getting, um, reviewed. You were constantly learning new material so that you, you would, you know, not only stay up with what you did, but continue to get better and better. And then I make this transition to the business world and that's, you know, initially non-existent and I'm working for a big fortune 500 company with a lot of resources. So fast forward, you know, I, I left that company after 10 plus years, great, great foundation to cut my teeth, went to work for an entrepreneurial company. And by entrepreneurial, I mean, one business owner, no board of directors. He called all the shots, um, went to work with this company. He was a, a software company based out of Atlanta, Georgia, $65 million in size. When I joined them, we took that company to about hundred million in a very short time frame. Um, learned a lot about entrepreneurial business at that point in time, do's and don'ts, what works, what doesn't work. Um, and ultimately watched the founder CEO destroy the company from the inside out. Uh, you know, the organizational culture wasn't, he didn't care about it. Um, he just, there were a lot of things that went wrong in the end about how he built that company and scaled it. And it wasn't sustainable in the end. And, uh, you know, through the, through the economic downturn of 2008, 2009, that company really started to struggle 2011. It wasn't viable anymore. And, you know, unfortunately I helped lay off a lot of good people because at that point my team was 50 plus nationwide and ended up helping that owner, that founder CEO shut that company down. So, you know, that was a real pivotal point in my career, having gone from working for a big fortune 500 to an entrepreneurial company that couldn't sustain, you know, and by this time, you know, my kids are hitting their high school years. Um, you know, where I've got a million miles with Delta and United Airlines, and I've been, you know, living out of a suitcase my entire career. And I told my wife, I said, I got to get off the road. I, I can't do this anymore. And that was the point in 2013 where I said, I'm going to go out on my own, start my own, my own business. So I had a couple different businesses with business partners, ultimately decided didn't need business partners. And that's what led me to starting Scalosity Works, right, which is an HR management payroll company. Um, but from there, what it has spawned off is the entrepreneur to employer community. Um, because we, you know, I, and we, we work with a lot of solopreneurs that are getting ready to make that transition to hiring and they, they don't know how to do it. They don't know how to make that leap and say, I need to build a team. I don't even know if I need to build a team. Um, and that's, what's led us to, to the entrepreneur to employer community and the coaching program that we now offer. So, you know, but every day, you know, 
our my mission, my why, life is short. We spend a lot of time working. And the reality is Mondays shouldn't suck. So if we can help leaders and employers make the workplace a better, a better environment for the employees, a better environment for them to succeed, a better environment for them to learn and grow, even if that's not their last part of their career, right? It may be a stepping stone. It may be, uh, you know, a, a springboard to their next opportunity. That's okay. Um, but that, that's what gets, that's what motivates me every day is to help employers and leaders become better at creating an organizational culture that creates success. So that's my story. Uh, that's awesome. And it's so fascinating to me because you and I have pretty much gotten to the same conclusion through completely different routes, although not that far apart. Um, I, I have a military background. And one of the first questions uh, or first thoughts, I guess, that I have, it's not really a question, is your EMS background. And you had mentioned how it taught you to think quickly and make decisions timely. Mm -hmm. And as a leader, you know, whether you're a CEO or just a, a floor manager or whatever, whatever your job is, just a, an hourly employee your ability to think quickly and make timely decisions is paramount. And uh, do you think that the reason you were able to go from your position initially with this big company early in your career to getting sent to a foreign country to figure it out, <laughs> basically, do you think that that EMS training, giving you the ability to assess a situation, make a quick and timely decision, and, you know, based off your best judgment, do you think that's what really helped you be successful? I do, because, you know, when, when you get trained and taught to make decisions, it, it becomes almost automatic, right? You assess the situation and, and you look at that decision tree and, you know, you have a situation in front of you and you can go one of two or three ways. Right. So the way my mind was working at that point is looking at the situation in front of me and choosing, you know, path one, path two, path three. If I go down path one, what could happen? If I go down path two, what could happen? If I choose door number three, what could happen? Right. What What's the out? What's the potential outcome of this? And, you know, that's how my decision making has always flowed business, personal, the whole the whole gamut um, since then is trying to create a decision-making tree and look at the different options that are available and then assessing the risk that goes with each of those options. Absolutely. And that, that's kind of what I figured your answer was going to be. But I mean, in in the military, I, you know, similar training got taught to, to think quickly. You know, when people are shooting at your face, you don't have a whole lot of time to uh, sit there and contemplate your decisions. Definitely life or death. Yes. Um, so we're taught to think quickly and make decisions quickly. And more importantly, we're taught how to recover from making the wrong decision, mm. which I think gets overlooked in a lot of a lot of training, because, you know, even if you have several hours to make a decision, sometimes there are factors you don't know. I mean, let's face it, we're always or we're never going to have all the information we need to make a decision. You Very know, true. life isn't perfect. <laughs> so with that that lack of information can cause us to make a bad decision or the wrong decision. How do you recover from that? Is is big. Anyway, I'm sorry. Getting on. No, that's a that's a great point. 
<laughs> and it applies to life and death situations, applies to business, applies to personal. Yeah, how you recover from a bad, because we're all going to make bad decisions. That's just right. that's part of life. That's how we learn. But how you respond to that bad decision once it's you know it's a bad decision can define you know the next steps. It can define everything, mm-hmm. and it can also just you know depending on how you how you go transition from bad decision to okay this is what I need to do to correct my course. You know if again if if you choose poorly you are now destroying the culture of your team your company. Um, it, it, and it can just snowball into a, a drastic, very drastic situation very quickly. Um, so I, I say all that to lead into the CEO you worked for uh, and towards the middle of your career um, or the, the entrepreneur, I'm sorry. Um, you said he pretty much destroyed his company from the inside. And I, I'm wondering if a lot of that was from a lack of being able to understand, okay, I made this poor decision. This is how I correct my poor decision. Or if it was something else entirely. Um, I think that was part of it, but a big component of, of it was his need to control everything. Mm. And so having that, that, that impulse that everything needed to be controlled and everything needed to, to, to be micromanaged by him was ultimately what led to the downfall. I'll give you an example. So, you know, the company had scaled very well and and did its core business very well and and easily could have continued climbing upward, focusing just on its core business. But because of his need to control everything, he wanted his own CRM system, you know, and this was, you know, 2008, 2009. So, and Salesforce was around early days CRM, but CRM systems were around already that were developed in, in, and definitely usable. Um, but that need to have his own CRM system when that's not the business that we were in, we were not in the business of building, designing CRM systems. So all of a sudden we have a team of programmers focused strictly on building an in-house CRM system that Mm -hmm. never got off the ground. A lot of capital was deployed into that, into that build and it ultimately failed. And there were more projects like that behind it. So the the constant burning of capital into projects that didn't align with the core business is ultimately what brought it down. Because when the economy did get did go south, and he hadn't focused on culture, and employee turnover was high, and all these other things were happening, you couple that with a lack of cash to sustain the business during a, a downturn, a recession, it's not sustainable. Wow. And so, did did the, this particular person did he have? advisors that he listened to no 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 nah, i didn't figure <laughs> i didn't figure <laughs> no, because i mean a lot of smart had a lot of smart people working for him but didn't didn't look at any of them as advisors and and see that's uh, I, i'll brag a lot of times when i'm talking to, to people and it's not necessarily to brag it's it's more to prove a point but a lot of times i'll tell people as a leader you can throw me into any work environment, any situation at any company, and I guarantee you, give me a year, I'll be successful. I don't need to know about the company. I don't need right. to know what they do. I don't need to know how they do it. I don't need to know anything. All I need is a group of people that do. Mm-hmm. Because what I'm going to do is I'm going to go in there 
and I'm going to find the OGs that, that have the experience and the wisdom and I'm going to lean on them and I'm going to run every decision I make by them. It might be a little underhanded. They might not know that they're helping me make decisions, but ultimately they are. And there's nothing wrong with having, having advisors. Those are that trusted core group of like, hey, because I'm sure if he'd ask you, you'd been like, bro, this is a stupid idea. <laughs> Right. I mean, I, I've heard, you know, talk to you a little bit. I don't think you'd have a problem telling a guy the truth when he needed to hear it. So, I mean, how, how, how important is that? Like it's to me, that's probably one of the most important aspects of a leader is to understand that you have to have advisors. Yeah. Ha having a group, a trusted group of people that you can rely on, that you can bounce ideas off of that can help point things out because when you're in the business every single day, your glasses get fogged. Your, your, your vision gets myopic. It's going to happen. It happens to me, right? It's, it's, that's just a normal course of being in a business. So having those advisors that, you know, don't have the same, um, aren't looking through things in the same lens as you are is important. Number one, number two, though, as that leader, you need to be willing to be told what you need to hear and not what you want to hear. Until you're willing yeah. to drop that, until you're willing to to step back and go, tell me what I need to hear, not what I want to hear. You can have all the advisors in the world, right? But if they have to be more than just yes people. Yeah, that's that's powerful, man. That is that's probably the best advice that we're going to hear on this show on this <laughs> podcast today is being able to be told no or being able to be just be told the hard truth even if it's not what we want to hear, mm -hmm. because at the end of the day, you're not running a business to, to satisfy your ego. You're running a business to make money. Exactly. And so, you know, and it's my number one advisor in my business is my wife. Mine too. <laughs> and you know how much my wife knows about my business? Not a thing. But she knows you. But, and so I'll, I'll come and I'll talk to her and be like, I'm thinking about doing this. And she'll ask me to explain it a little bit. I will, you know, give her the rough draft and she'll be like, I don't like it. I don't understand what you're saying. And it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> or on the other hand, if she's like, I explain it to her and she's like, eh, whatever. And then goes about her day. I'm in, I'm good. If if what I'm telling her doesn't give her a funny feeling, I'm I'm cleared to move on to the next process. And she literally doesn't know anything about what I do. Um, so, I mean, and, and you can take the, you know, some people be like, oh, that's a, that's a horrible advisor if they don't know what you do. But I mean, I just trust her, trust her gut. If she has that woman feeling, whatever it is they get that says it's a bad idea, it's a bad idea. And I scrap it, man. And <laughs> it's been successful so far, but I also have other advisors. I, you know, I have a bunch of people I bounce off ideas. I know you do too. So, I mean, to me, that is, that is the number one step to being a good leader is making sure you have advisors and making sure that they are free to tell you the truth because, you know, and you have to make sure that they understand that they can tell you the truth. But, uh, Man, I'm sorry. I get off on tangents sometimes. No, that's good. But, you know, that on the <laughs> same vein, that also in building an organizational culture that's healthy and, and one that works, creating that same environment for your employees is critical. 
because mm-hmm. as a leader, right, you, you should allow and create an environment where your team can hold you accountable as a leader as well. And that means getting your team comfortable, knowing they're safe to hey say, hey, boss, this isn't a good idea and here's why. You know, mm-hmm. creating that environment for them to be able to speak up and be candid with you is important. Absolutely. And you you said it kind of as an undertone, but it's one of my one of the big things I teach uh, is safety. Mm-hmm. If an employee feels safe, they're going to give you everything they can give you. As long as if you make them feel safe, then they're going to go to bat for you. Even when the chips are down, they're going mm-hmm. to be there by your side because they know you got their back. So, I mean, that's, that safety is key. And you're absolutely right that that comes from having an open environment where they where they can tell you their opinions, fears, stresses, whatever the case may be. Um, which, the, like, we're already talking about the next thing I wanted to bring <laughs> up in your, what you said in your opening is about, you said life is short, right? And we shouldn't hate going to work on Mondays. And that, that's so true because one of, one of the things people, my, a lot of my clients will tell me is I would love to have a work environment where my team is willing to die for me, just like in the military or that, that camaraderie I'm sure you had with your EMS teams. Like you had each other's back no matter what, mm-hmm. dangerous job. You have to know you can trust each other like having that environment. And I got to thinking about it because a lot of, a lot of people feel that you can't get that outside of the military first responder police environments, Mm -hmm. but that's not true. The, the, the difference between the military and, and the corporate world, in my opinion, is that we are taught constantly to rely on each other not to rely on ourselves. And I think once we get that that work mind or that work culture mindset changed to to I need to focus on how I'm helping the team, mm-hmm. not how I'm helping myself and furthering my career. Once we get that shift, we're going to see careers take off, we're going to see companies take off. We're going to see it it will literally transform the entire organization almost overnight. Well, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I I agree because it's, it's the analogy of what is it? The rising tide in the boat analogy, right? At the Mm -hmm. end of the day, if you don't get the entire team rowing in the same direction, you can have two or three top high performers, however you want to term them, right? You can have that top, top pool. But if, if the entire team isn't in sync and rowing in the same direction, you know, one, your top performers are going to get tired because they're going to feel they're always carrying the weight and they're going to burn out. And two, you're going to have a longer runway to getting to whatever that next milestone is, right? Whatever, whatever that next chapter looks like. So, yes, you know, and unfortunately, there's been, you know, for a long period of time, and it will never completely go away because there has to be some level of accountability, but you know, work environments have been built on looking at individual contributions, right? What do you, are, you know, what, what value you bring into the organization individually? How are you contributing individually? And so to your point, it's got to be a blend, right? That individual contribution will never go away because that's what keeps you employed in that job. 
but that's got to be blended with helping the entire team, whether it's a small, small team, part of a subset of a bigger group, or if it's a smaller company and it's one big team, but, you know, helping the overall team meet its objectives and how your daily responsibilities fit into that bigger piece, that bigger objective. Absolutely. A hundred percent. You know, I'm, I, and I wasn't suggesting taking away the personal accountability of what you do, but I, I was like, that that that's part of the team mentality. I have to do my job because Susie in accounting is depending on me to do my job. Yes. So you and, and the mindset, you know, uh, you know, in in the military, we'll, we'll say in the Army Special Forces, the Green Berets, they they have specialists, right? So you'll you'll have what's called an eighteen Bravo, who he's a weapons guy. Mm-hmm. He knows everything about everything when it comes to weapons. And then you have a eighteen Echo, which is an engineer, and then an eighteen Delta, which is a medic. And, and each one of these guys is is special mm-hmm. for their specific job, and they are the entire six man team depends on that job being completed by that person mm-hmm. and that you don't complete that job because you're it's your job. You complete that job because your team counts on you. And I, I think that's the mentality shift we, we really need in, in the corporate world. Um, I agree. And I think that's where a lot of the training falls short is making sure that that person understands how their job fits into the bigger picture. Right. A lot of times that's not communicated. Right. So 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 this person who maybe it's just maybe their job is inventory. Right. My inventory, my job is inventory of dry goods. But if I don't understand that me having accurate counts on inventory every single week, what happens if, if I don't. Right. Now, all of a sudden, production doesn't know what they're working with. The sales team doesn't know what they need to sell. Right. If I don't understand how important it and how my role fits into having inventory accurate every week, I may not care as much or I may look at it differently. Right. Right. And that's one thing I see lacking is making sure individual team members understand here's how your job impacts the greater mission of the company. Right. And I was actually wanting to move on to training, (laughs) but then you just brought something else up. And that is, yeah, and it's not just not trying as hard. It, it, It could be as simple as I don't have the big picture. So now I'm not motivated. Like, you know, and, and a good example of that, and I'm sorry to keep bringing up military references, but uh, there, there, I was on a deployment to Iraq one time and there, there was, it wasn't my unit, but there is this unit. They had been in their, their area of operation for like 13 months, 14 months, nonstop. And their morale was the lowest I've ever seen of any unit I've ever been around. And it was low because none of them saw the big picture. Mm-hmm. I saw the big picture because I was outside uh, of their unit. Mm-hmm. But their command never took the time to be, tell them that they were sitting on a road. We called it Route Tampa, Route mm-hmm. 1. And that road is how IEDs were getting transported from the Iraq border further north into Iraq. And since they had taken over that area and started doing their operations, they had cut IED deaths down to down by 70%. Mm-hmm. 
if you, you had told huge. them that, yeah, if you had told them that, what do you think their morale would have been like as opposed to not understanding why they were getting blown up, why they were getting attacked, why they were dying for no reason? They didn't see the big picture. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so that that and that or that story has always been in my mind of I need to make sure my team always understands the big picture from a morale aspect because they need to know what they're doing matters. That's a great point. So, yeah. But some of the next thing is training that you brought up in your your opening and man, that that is why I do what I do. Because the, the lack of leadership training in corporate America is, I, I can't think of a word to describe it. <laughs> it's that bad. It, it's just non-existent, right? Don't, what, I don't understand why a Fortune 500 company wouldn't think it was in their best interest to take you and say, all right, we're sending you here and we are going to train you specifically <laughs> to go here and do this, right? So, and, and here's my thought, Brian, is what if they, that, that person hadn't been you, right? What if it, it's a person that only has their college education, a little bit of work experience, did great at their work, you know, at their previous position, got promoted to this new position, and they didn't have your 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 EMS experience allowing you to make quick and confident decisions, right? What, what would have happened then? That person would have failed. Yeah, well, and in that case, you know, you send them to a foreign country, you know, that with no experience, you know, Lord only knows what's going to happen over there, right? You mean, right. <laughs> they're they're going to fail miserably. They'll come back. They'll be disgruntled. They'll be upset. Probably ended up end up getting demoted and sent back to wherever they came. Then they are, you know, back in their original position. They're they're ticked off. They hate the company. They hate themselves. Like you know, everything. So you it, just it, it absolutely is a domino effect, right? And you just took a superstar employee and made them your worst employee. Very unhappy. Yep. So I that mean, all the time. That, that happens, happens all the time, the time. In companies all the time and it, it upsets me so much because all it takes is a little bit of training mm -hmm. it doesn't even have to be you know i i've received massive amount of leadership training i've gone to college for it i've the military like uh, i've received massive amount it doesn't take that like i i, I overkilled <laughs> to, to say the least but right. you know just just a a month-long introductory course of this is what leadership is mm -hmm. right the, this is what you're expected to do the, this is how you make these decisions this is a thought process practice yep. that you can use to help make quick decisions whatever the case may be whatever you decide to do as a company like how much time energy money would companies save if they just would put a little more effort into it do you think well, I think a lot, but you know, the, the, the problem and the challenge you see is that they don't know necessarily how to measure it, right? And so from, from a corporate standpoint, if they don't know how to measure whether or not the training is making an impact, they don't want to make that investment. Mm -hmm. And so that that's a big part of the challenge is is educating employers and solopreneurs and entrepreneurs and business owners and companies on on how you actually measure this 
so that you can show, yes, it's working. Here's why it's working. Right. So, I mean, the, the days of, of, you know, going off site for, you know, five or 10 days of, of leadership training, those days are gone, right? These companies now want very hyper specific localized mm-hmm. type training on specific topics and things that, that that team member can take the next day and implement at work, right? Mm-hmm. They want it to, to really move quickly, which is fine. That all makes good sense, um, you know, and so making sure that we can educate these companies on how you measure the results from it and how you can show a return on investment is important. Gotcha. So we'll, we'll move on now. <laughs> we, we, we've, we've hung out in this area for a while. So my, the next thing I want to ask you is, so you work with solopreneurs, entrepreneurs, uh, scale, basically scale their business or decide to scale their business. Um, do you, a lot of times, do you see companies that wait too long to scale their business and start hiring? Or do you see companies that try to scale and start hiring too early? What, what's more common? It's about 50-50. It's both. Really? Yeah, because at the end of the day, there's a misconception about scaling a company and what that means, right? I mean, before you can scale a company, you have to have two two very important things in place. Steady revenues and systems in place to sustain the growth. So if you don't have those two things in place, your business is not ready to scale yet. So, you know, we really, I do see both sides of the spectrum where you'll get a business that, you know, the business, the solopreneur continues to try and do everything themselves or with maybe just a few contractors that they can't necessarily control everything or get the results they want. Um, And they continue to try and go down that path and they're not able to start adding more sales or their customer service deteriorates or, or whatever, right? There's a whole variety of things that will start to happen when you get stretched so thin, you know, that your business will start to implode. Um, and then there's the the other side of it where, you know, somebody says, okay, I'm, I, I've got to offload all this stuff. I'm going to start hiring, but they haven't taken the time to take a step back and go, okay, can I afford the payroll, you know, consistently, right? Am I ready to become an employer? Do I know everything I have to have in order to do it? Um, what's the job posting going to look like? What do I expect out of this first person? What, 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 what am I going to delegate? What does the role look like? Right. And they just start hiring and all of a sudden their payroll liability versus their gross sales is way out of whack from a financial ratio standpoint. So we really see it both. both so what, what do you do in that situation where their payroll is just crazy and, and the, they're getting upside down really quick? Like how, how do you, how do you get out from under that? Just, is it unfortunate you just have to start letting people go or is there other tactics you can use to, to you know, ride the ship, right? Yeah, great question. So, you know, you, you hope that cutting back staff is is not something you have to do immediately, right? But but that does create, once once a business owner really looks at their numbers and understands their ratios and realizes that that payroll number is not sustainable, the first thing we have to do is help them figure out how long can you sustain at this number? If it's 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, what does our runway look like? Then from there, we very quickly need to help them really roadmap what does each person on the team do? What are their roles and responsibilities? And make sure all of that is clearly delineated because once that's clearly delineated, then we can look at the workload and determine, is everything properly balanced? Is Are things unbalanced? Where do we need to make some shifts in the workload? And from that point, once that is done, 
then we also start taking a look at how much more business needs to come in, how quickly to sustain the current number. And at a minimum, you lock hiring, right? Hiring gets frozen at that point in time. There is no more hiring. This right. has to get flushed out. Um, you know, and you're hoping that when you're done with this exercise, that you're able to reallocate team members, keep everybody on. Things may shift, the lay of the land may shift, but you 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 make those shifts while making sure that business owner is able to, to quickly add more top line sales on to start to bring that payroll liability number down in order. So that's that's usually the roadmap. Right. Okay. Do do you think? Because I I mean especially you know during COVID, I guess COVID would be an exception for layoffs. But do you think companies when they lay off you know lay off their employees? They do it kind of as a knee-jerk reaction or oftentimes is is what they're doing very necessary? Uh, I know that's a broad question. No, and that's a great question. The answer to that is both. It really is situation-specific. There are times where it's a knee-jerk reaction. It's a panic, right? And that, that comes from a business leader running the business in a reactive manner and not in a proactive manner. And there's a lot out there. I mean, we, we've seen it. Um you know, and there's a lot of examples of companies making poor choices in terms of when they're going to lay off, how they're going to lay off, and why they're going to lay off. Um, so, and then sometimes, unfortunately, it is it is an uh, you know an evil necessity um, if business right. conditions turn very quickly. Um, but it is also the job of the the business owner, the CEO, the founder, whomever's running that company, to be as uh, attentive to the economic conditions around them, what's going on. And try and you know minimize their their business risk and their business decisions so that you don't have to lay off. And that's the whole reason why when you do start to hire, you know you're very you don't want to overhire because that's when you get out over your skis. Right. right. So so you you hire systematically and slowly to make sure that every position that comes on, that position is paying for itself and is sustainable. And you've taken into account worst case conditions. If we hit a speed bump, if sales drop to this point. Where, where am I at? What, what will I have to do if we lose 25% of our customers tomorrow? Right. Before you do all that analysis before you start hiring. And I mean, I'm sure with, you know, COVID as an example, I'm sure we saw that quite a bit with COVID, especially with like fast food chains or restaurants, mm -hmm. bars, um, a lot of the uh, service industries uh, felt, I, I think felt COVID the hardest be, because they suddenly lost. 80% of their, their revenue source almost Absolutely. overnight. Yeah. And that really, you know, COVID, that was a black swan event, right? I mean, at the end of the day, <laughs> I like that term. Yeah. It was a black swan event that it was very hard. Was it unrealistic that it could ever happen? No. Right. We always knew a, a pandemic could happen, but we, you know, since the 1920s, we haven't had one. So everybody got comfortable that nothing's going to go wrong. And the bull market's going to continue. And so we get hit with this black swan event. Um, and yeah, we, you know, we had some food manufacturers that were, you know, their primary sales channel was food service, restaurants. Mm -hmm. And so when the pandemic hit and restaurants had to shut their doors, they laid off 60, 75% of their workforce almost immediately. Right. So. And, and that's horrible. And so, I mean, talk to me about, you know, earlier we were talking about the, the, uh, culture uh, of your workplace laying off employees is probably one of the most detrimental thing you can do for a work culture because again like we were talking 
that takes away safety. You know, when you start laying, if you have 100 employees and you lay off five, now all of a sudden those other 95 don't feel safe in their job anymore. And now your culture just went to went down the, the toilet. Uh, is there a way you can lay off without that happening? Or is that just something you have to deal with? No, there actually is a way that, that you can lay off and, and address the situation. And it's, it's, it boils down to how you go about laying off. So I will give you an example. I had a, a customer service team for a distribution e-commerce company. This company had record success during the pandemic. They get what I call the Peloton effect, right? Everybody's at home. So they were purchasing, they were purchasing mm -hmm. this particular item because it was a, you know, if I'm going to be stuck at home. I want this additional piece for my gym. Mm -hmm. And so this company had some great, had the best sales of its, of its uh, lifespan during, during COVID. So they ramped up, added some more customer service people on to support the business. Well, you get into 2021, early 2022, and things start going the other way. Sales are not as robust. And now customer service is upside down. They have too many customer service people. So the first thing we help them do is we take a look. Okay, is there any other place within the company we can take these two customer service people? Because they, they just wanted to, they wanted to lay off two customer service people. Is there any place we can move them to? Can we reskill them? Can we move them to a different department? What can we do to keep them on the team, but give them a different opportunity? So that's the first thing you can, you can make a good faith effort at trying to do that. Because your team will watch you go through that exercise. And if you are truly trying to retrain them and move them to a different part of the company, that will be much appreciated. If it's not possible, and in this case, it wasn't possible, they ended up laying off two of the customer service people. But what we did during that transition is we worked with them to offboard them, help them get their resumes and their LinkedIn profiles updated and up to speed and you know ready for ready for presentation. And we took the time to connect them to other employers. Mm. So we, we made the effort to help them make a transition and find a new opportunity. And it took a little bit of time. Um, you know, I think one took her, took 60 days, but she landed, right? But, but the company was active in connecting with other companies, connecting with headhunters and recruiters and helping her, helping both of them make a transition from that company to a new employer. So that's what we were able to do in that instance. And what did the morale in the company, the the safety, did that take a huge hit, or was ever did everyone see what was going on and been like, huh, I work for a pretty good company? It took a little bit of a hit, simply from the fear standpoint of, am I next? Where we see mm -hmm. they're starting to cut, so so no matter what you do, that fear factor is going to be there. Mm -hmm. So all you can do as a leader, right after that happened, the the owner did a because this company works almost 100% remote except for the distribution hub had a town hall all the team members came on and he was just very transparent this, these are the business conditions this is what's happening how to make a hard choice with our two customer service people here's what we're doing to help them make a transition um, as of today I am not looking at any more layoffs or any more workforce reductions can I promise you that's gonna, not going to change no I can't promise you that that's all he could do was be very mm -hmm. honest and open and, and lay it out there and say, but, you know, let's keep working hard. We're going to work on these new initiatives. Here's how we're going to recover from, you know, our dip in sales because COVID is, you know, no longer going to fuel our growth. Right. So, and, and for those listening, if you're in a position like this, tell me, and tell me if I'm wrong, Brian, but I mean, the way he went about it, yes, the fear, like you said, is always going to be there. Mm -hmm. But just because you have fear doesn't mean you don't feel safe. 
you're just fearful of the possibility. Um, I think a lot of times we equate with, you know, I'm fearful of something, therefore I'm not safe. Mm. And that's not, that's not necessarily, I mean, that could be the case. And in some cases it is, but a lot of times I, I think that is just an over, over emotional reaction, if you will. Um, so, I mean, yes, the fear was still there, but I, I, I would assume when the team as a whole saw the process of everything that this particular uh, leader was doing, that actually brought them quite a bit of reassurance. And if it, even if it didn't bring them reassurance, it definitely brought them trust because, okay, I may be next, but at least I know I work for someone that's going to help me land on my feet. I don't need to be fearful of, you know, losing everything overnight. Right. And and that was the general consensus. So yes. And, and the fear was definitely not tied to not feeling safe. The fear was, yes, things are getting tough. We got to, we got to forge ahead or my job could be at risk next. You know, right. And that's just, you know, and it all also, I think how each individual accepts that situation and processes, it has a lot to do with their own personal life and where they've come from and, and what they do. Right. There's no one blanket or one size fits right. all of that. Right. But yeah, it's it, it definitely can be complicated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Rough waters. So, so tell me, Brian, what, what is, uh, when dealing with solopreneur there, man, I am having trouble today, man. <laughs> when it comes to dealing with solopreneurs, what's the number one challenge you see with them getting ready to scale? What, what, what's the biggest hurdle they face? The biggest hurdle they face is really knowing when it's time to do it and, and being able to figure out what am I going to delegate and how do I create that first position, right? Because they're doing so much by themselves now. And they may have some some contractors working for them, some people on Upwork and, and some different really good contractors that do pick up some of the work. But being able to step back and go, okay, am I ready? Do I even know if I'm ready? And even knowing to ask that question. And then number two, what is what am I going to offload? What 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 position do I create? So how would you recommend or how do you go about that process of creating a position? That's a really good question. So the the high level answer is from from the business perspective, you have to take a step back and look at everything that the business is doing on a day in and day out business on a day in and day out basis, and looking for the things that are starting to break down, right? So if your customer service and your ability to follow up with your customers is starting to fail, you're getting feedback from your customers, hey, we still have your product, but you can get back to us, it's taking too long. We can't get issues resolved. So, you know, if it's a customer service issue that's starting to break down because you as the owner are just too busy to handle it anymore, you can't, you can't handle the phone calls, you're not getting back on messaging, you know, whatever that looks like because you are busy working on new product design or whatever it is that is, is drawing your time and attention then looking at the area that is getting the most negative attention from your customers or the area where you cannot add on because you don't have the ability to spend the time on it, maybe where you want to take a look at hiring, right? So if your customer service is starting to fail, your first position might be a customer service person or account manager to pick that slack up. Once you make that decision that you believe you need to hire, how do you go about designing the position setting the expectations, what, what are your, what, what's going to be the job role and what's expected. Correct. Am I with you? Yes. 
Okay. So that's funny. Just before we got on this, I recorded Entrepreneur to Employer podcast episode number 21. And it's the anatomy of a job posting because, you know, I get to look at a lot of different job postings and some are really well-written and some are very poorly written. Um, so it, it's given me a lot of insight over the years because you hear a lot of, of business owners, solopreneurs, entrepreneurs, whatever term you want to call it, complain, nobody wants to work, can't find anybody. You know, there's so many negative, negative connotations to hiring. And at the end of the day, I tell them, focus on what you can control, not on what you can't control. So if you decide that, you know, customer service is your weak link, that's where you're failing as a business. And if you don't fix that, you cannot add top line revenue. Before you write that job posting, the first thing you need to do is do a deep review of the position itself, right? What, what does the role, what are the bullet points for the role? What's going to be required of this customer service person or account manager? List all that out. What is expected? What is that day-to-day -day job going to look like? And map all that out. So that's your first step before you even write the job posting. Mm -hmm. Let's get clarity on what the role looks like and how that role fits into your organization now and how it fixes the problem. Mm. Right. So, so should you down. so should you go from from basically what I got from what you just said is go from the problem out. Like go from the pro or from the problem in. So this is my problem. This is, you know, I, I need a person to do this, 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 this. Boom, I'm hiring a customer service representative. It's basically reverse planning. Yeah, you're reverse engineering it. Yes, right? I mean, if, if say, say, all your, say all your customer service calls come in via phone. So you, you know you need somebody who's going to be on the phones from eight to five, right? Somebody who's good with CRM systems, somebody who can handle chat at the same time. Right. So you have to list all those things out mm -hmm. to create the position itself. And then you go and write the job posting. Right. But you get all that flushed out. Yeah. So you're talking about you you were just talking about the entrepreneur to employer program that you have. So tell me more about that. What what is it and what what does it do to help? So the entrepreneur to employer coaching program is designed for that solopreneur, that that single business owner, entrepreneur who has gotten their business to a certain threshold and they are stuck. They cannot grow it anymore for whatever reason, maybe because they haven't hired a team yet to help them scale, right? I mean, we can only, there's only so many hours in a day, right? And every business gets to a certain threshold where you need more people to help execute, you know, the vision, the mission and every, the everyday objectives, um, or you're going to stay at, at that level. You're not going to grow anymore. So we work and we coach with those solopreneurs on hiring employee number one and beyond, because once you've hired one, then you're ready to, to continue building your team. Um, and we do that through coaching them on, you know, how to build the job descriptions, how to create a meaningful onboarding experience, what the first two weeks of onboarding should look like, how you're going to train the new team, how to build your recruitment and talent pipeline. Um, so we, we coach on all that fundamental work to help get employee number one on. And then from there, we help and coach on implementing what I call proactive HR systems, right? When you That's one of the other big fears of solopreneurs and entrepreneurs, et cetera, is if I have employees, I now have more risk. Yeah, you do, but you also have opportunity to grow your company. So you balance the risk with the opportunity. But as, especially here in California, right? HR risk is pretty large. Uh, the state of California is very much an employee-friendly state. And a lot of the laws are written to protect the employees over the employer, um, on certain levels. And a lot of the legislation is important and good, but it does make being an employer much more difficult. 
So, you know, but there is a way to proactively put in HR systems that help you stay ahead of things, help you manage things so that things that are small don't become mountains, you know, big, huge, out of control situations. So we help put in proactive HR systems, both on tactical HR as well as strategic. Um, and then we just work and coach them on building, you know, helping them build a team that's high performing, that's going to help them scale to whatever their goal is, right? They want to 5X their business, 10X their business. They want to sell it in 10 years, whatever that end goal is, right? Building that team that helps them get there. So so what is one of those, because this is the first time I've ever heard of that, a, a strategic HR system, proactive system. Can you give me an example of one thing? Sure. Details? So proactive HR. So we've got a, a library of documents. So we've got, you know, just, we're always creating new documents, but we have a library of documents that that business owner gets access to that are templates. So we we have templates for job postings, for performance reviews, for performance improvement plans. So they get access to a complete database library tool set to help them. So that's that's one component of it. The other side component to it is in the coaching piece, we work with them on compensation design. We, we coach them on, you know, taking that job description and making it better. We coach them on how to implement one-to-ones with their team so that they have continuous feedback loops so that there's not this annual performance review. So that's the strategic side of it is making sure they understand how to interact with their team, how to bring them along, how to coach them, how to develop them, and how to put a system in place so that it's regular, recurring, and systematized. Man, I love that because one of one of my biggest core beliefs is that a good leader is going to make a bunch of mini-me's. You know, uh, the number one job of any leader is to to train everyone to do your job. Mm-hmm. And when when you have a company full of you, you know, I mean, how awesome is that? Like, I mean, how good of a work environment is that? How 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 big can you scale a company when every you know when you have a bunch of leaders trained by you? Um, and I'm not saying suggesting that everyone thinks like you. It's just everyone understands that leadership process the way you do. Right. And so that puts everybody on the same page. So you're taking away hurt feelings. You're taking away all those emotions that cloud our judgment and you know cause drama in the workplace, which yep. is like one of the number <laughs> one killers of any of any workplace is workplace drama and gossip. So I mean, like I love the that you're you include that in part of your coaching program to to help them understand like, hey, you've got to train, you have to train your people to be you. Right. Right. Because I mean, let's 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 be honest. Like, you know, if something happens to me tomorrow, if I'm in a car accident and I'm in the hospital for a month, who's gonna run my company for me? Mm-hmm. Right? Can't These people be, can't be a single point of failure. Right. So I mean, man, that that is some good stuff. Um I really like that. Um, so say uh, where we're there. I mean, I'm so sorry. I will edit this part out. I'm really, I, I did a, I, I, right before this, I was doing a podcast with Patricia Ortega. Okay. Do you know her? I don't believe I do. Uh, she's in Flip Lifestyle. Okay. Um, check her out. She has a website called The Uncommon Career. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll send her an email and I'll introduce the two of you. You two got to talk. Perfect. And she has a, she has a podcast and you like, she, uh, focuses on career coaching and counseling. Um, so you're kind of, I, I think your guys' thing is pretty symbiotic. 
if you would. Sure, some good overlap. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, you guys definitely need to talk. But anyway, uh, I've been talking all day and I've, I'm starting to struggle. So, <laughs> I apologize. It is late in the day for you on the East Coast. <laughs> but anyway, so anyway, back to it. Um, say we want to uh, look you up, find a little bit more about your, on, what is it, entrepreneur to employer coaching yeah. program. <laughs> um, a couple a couple ways you can get in touch with us uh we've got the podcast entrepreneur to employer podcast um which is on apple and every every other platform out there and then just go to entrepreneur to employer.com and uh you know you can check us out there and see if the program's right for you awesome and do you have any like uh uh any uh free resources for people i do I do. There is a workbook, a short workbook that you can download and training. Um, and it's the questions that you need to ask yourself as a solopreneur to decide, to help you decide if you're ready to hire, right? Because there are a lot of questions you need to ask yourself and things you need to think through before you make take that first step. So this short training and workbook is designed to help put those questions, give you the questions you need to ask yourself and answer before you make that first step. Nice. That is awesome. Well, Brian, I thank you so much for being on the show with me today. Uh, I've loved talking with you. We're, we're going to have to have you back because there, there are a lot of things we didn't talk about. And I have like an entire page of notes <laughs> over here of questions I wanted to ask, but I couldn't get, get to because of time. And I try to keep my podcast, you know, a little below an hour. Um, I'm not Jocko. I can't go for three hours. <laughs> but I, I don't understand how people listen to a podcast for three hours. Like I, I love Jocko. He, he's crazy, but man, I, I just can't listen to it. I'll, I'll listen to like 30 minutes of it and then I'm done. Step away <laughs> and maybe come back later. Yep. Yeah, maybe. But yeah. by then there's a new episode out. <laughs> right. So <it's>, right? <laughs> can't keep up. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it's just, I don't know, understand how people do it, man. But again, thank you so much, Brian. I really appreciate it. And it was so much fun talking to you and getting to know about your business. Likewise, I enjoyed it. So, all right, everybody, thanks for joining us. And uh, we'll see you again next week. When I'm awake, I'm all blind. You and your magic. All right, everybody, that wraps up this week's podcast. I hope you found it informative and insightful. More importantly, I hope you took some notes on uh, Brian's brilliant breakdown of how to scale your company and things to watch out for when doing so the dude like i said he really knows his stuff and we're definitely going to have to have him back on the podcast to uh dive deeper into some of these things so again i hope you all enjoyed it don't forget to go to renownedleadership.com to check out some of our free resources. That's R-E-N-O-W-N-E-D, leadership.com. We got a ton of free resources for you. We got a new checklist uh, to help get you guys started on leading your remote teams. It's a three-point checklist of just three simple steps to help you better lead your remote team because let's be honest, leading remote teams is the future so go ahead head over to renowned leadership and check that out it's under the free resources tab at the very top and we have a list of other free resources under that tab for you as well so make sure you guys go check that out make sure you check out brian's website scalocityworks.com i hope you guys have a great week and remember lead like a champion oh, no, I know they